0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends Jeff and Camille McConnell. Welcome to the podcast, you two.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks.
0: We're going to talk in this podcast about um, their son, Wesley, who died on Memorial Day of 2018 of a choking accident in their home as a three-year-old boy. And that's kind of a parent's worst nightmare, and they're living their worst nightmare. And that's been a couple of years, and I became aware of Camille through a friend who listens to the podcast, and she sent me an email, and Camille has has a blog. Tell our listeners right now where to find your blog, and we'll do that again.
2: It's sweetwesleyswarriors.com.
0: And I've been reading that blog, and there's great insights that help all of us understand Um, the road that Camille is walking. They have um, five children. They have three boys, Chad, Wesley, who's gone, and Will. They have two girls, Gabby and Olivia. So these kids are from age 1 to 11. They're an active LDS family that lives in Farmington, Utah. Camille and Jeff both grew up in California. We've been reminiscing about California. Camille and I spent some time in the same spot. Camille started an on loan clothing company, um, tell just our listeners about your online clothing company and where to find it.
2: Um, the website's modestpop.com. I started it in 2012. I wanted a mom side hustle and I wanted clothes at a discount. So it just grew and we're lucky to still have it. That's
0: great. So you pre you knew coronavirus was coming. You started an online clothing company <laughs> and Jeff is an attorney, um, grew up in, um, San Diego. Um, they both serve missions and Jeff is working for a company out of California. Yep. So you've been remote, um, working pre-coronavirus.
1: I have pretty much my whole career. So.
0: So not a lot changed, at least with your work. Nope. Um, anyway, that we offered a prayer before we started and we just pray that this podcast will be helpful. There may be some of you that have lost a child, and are living this, what I'm going to call, a parent's worst nightmare, you may be early on this journey in this podcast, the things that Camille and Jeff may give you hope and healing. And it will be helpful for people like me that haven't lost a child, um, but at times have, have had people close to me lose a child and have not always known the best thing to say or the things not to say, as I have a desire to lift their burden and mourn with them and comfort them. Um, my brother lost a grandson um, in a tragic accident this summer, for example, a little five year old boy. And so um, I'm just aware of wonderful people that lose children and want to know how to best help in these difficult situations. So we're going to start with um, kind of the difficult story. And I always have a little tender heart asking people to retell the story of losing a child because it's sort of potentially re-traumatizing. Um, but maybe it's a little bit healing at times too, but they've agreed to share. And we'll start with just Memorial Day is this happy day 2018. It's usually the beginning of summer. You've got four kids. He's your young, he's not your youngest. You've got a younger daughter. Just start Camille with that day.
2: Okay. So we had written down on a piece of paper, like, stuff we wanted to get from the grocery store. We were going to do some grilling in the backyard, fire pit in the backyard, and we were going to go swimming at the pool. And he wanted to go, he liked going on walks. He has this little bike, the one that doesn't have pedals where you just use your feet. And uh, he and I, and Olivia was, she was just barely two at the time. We all went on a walk. So he's on his little bike and I'm pushing Livy in the stroller we wanted to go to the park down the street. There's this little hill. Uh, it's not too steep, but he liked to ride his bike down the hill. And after playing at the park for a minute, we went up there and he wanted to go down the hill. So he, he took his little bike up there and I sat in the shade with Livy and I actually filmed it. I put it on Facebook live because it was just, he was so joyous and so happy. Um, this little blonde haired boy just would kind of start and then he would go down and he'd lift up his feet and he would just sail down that little hill. And I remember in the video, uh, the Olivia was too, she was kind of fussing and I was narrating. I was like, and the crowd goes wild. I was like, there goes Wesley and the crowd goes wild and she's crying and fussing. And then I, I put the phone back on him and the video shows like this gorgeous blue sky with clouds and he's smiling and, um, just happy. And I posted it immediately. It's a Facebook live. So post immediately and got a lot of um, comments and views. And later that day, my sister pointed out, she's like, don't you think it's interesting that you posted that video? She's like, it's very symbolic because you show a lot of like the clouds in the sky. It's like the heavens and like, oh, there goes Wesley. Oh, the crowd goes wild. And Olivia's crying and he's just happy and he's just like off in the distance. So I thought that was interesting. Unfortunately, it got deleted. Facebook had a glitch. There was videos between a period and it's gone, but it's, it's burned in my brain. It's in my memory forever.
1: Yeah, so I think uh they got home from the walk and um he was going to take a nap and then we were going to go swimming. And so um I remember I was the one putting him <laughs> to bed and he he's usually a, a very well-behaved compliant child, but he did not want to take a nap. And so uh, I remember he was stomping up the stairs screaming at me <laughs> and You know, as a parent, sometimes you handle that situation well, sometimes you don't. And I just remember not getting angry with him and just kind of laughing, just being like, it'll be fine, Wes. Just go take your nap and then I'll take you swimming. Um, I didn't really get upset with him. And he walked off to his room and started, uh, you know, yelling at me a little and then he calmed down.
2: Well, he got I got upset with him, though. And our last conversation wasn't, like, sweet. Someone asked me once, what was the last thing you said to him? I'm like, oh, that's not helpful. <laughs> that's okay, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so mine was, it was a mess nice experience for me in that way, I guess. Um, and so after that, um, I mean, you can tell the next part better, I think.
2: Okay, so he came running out of his bedroom, and I could tell he had something in his mouth, and he had no sound coming out. So I was like, oh, no, he he put something in his mouth. He was almost four, so he was past that stage. But for some reason... In that last recent time, he had had this interest in finding those little annoying small bouncy balls and chewing them in half. Um, I'd notice and I'd throw them away immediately. Like, those are choking hazards. But apparently, we didn't know this, but a bolt had fallen out of his toddler bed. And so um, that's what he had put in his mouth. And he ran out. And as a mom with other kids, I was experienced with children doing stuff and scaring you. And I've had kids choke on food for a minute, and I just thought he would spit it right out or he would maybe even throw it up because it seemed like it was stuck in there. And it didn't come out right away. And I called for Jeff to come up to see if he, like, had a better – because I was starting to panic, and he didn't have luck, and so I called 911 right away. And we had a, a police officer patrolling the neighborhood, and he was at our house within 30, 45 seconds. It was just amazing that he happened to be there. And we um, – the paramedics were on their way, so you could hear the sirens – and they got there within, I mean, Wesley was still breathing because the par- the police officer holding him was saying he's still breathing, his breathing is light. And then a second later he said, Okay, he just stopped breathing and he documented it on his watch, like oh, what time it was. And he was only without breathing for maybe a minute, maybe a minute and a half when the paramedics got there. And he was just keeping him stable because we weren't worried at that point, like about him not making it. And they were working on him. They were trying to get it out. They put him in the ambulance. I was in the front seat. And we were driving because Life Flight was on the way. And they were able to get the bolt out while they were working on him before Life Flight. And then there wasn't room in the Life Flight for me because they had an extra doctor that they thought would be helpful. And it would be more important to have him in the Life Flight than myself. So I was standing there like barefoot because I wasn't planning on this end of this happening in this parking lot. While Jeff and the bishop drove to come pick me up so we could drive to Primary Children's to meet the life flight. Yeah. So it was totally surreal and crazy.
1: Yeah. Our, our, our bishop drove us to the hospital and um, the ER called us, I think called me actually twice, just like, Are you coming? Are you almost here? Um, And I don't think I ever told you any of this, actually. I think you knew they called, but like they were exasperated, like hurry up, get here. And in the back of my mind on the drive up there, I was just like, something's wrong. Like, I don't think he's going to make it. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to worry Camille. Yeah. um, But we got there. Um, As soon as we got there. They pulled us
2: into a room and, you know, basically told us that... Um, Your son has suffered an unrecoverable accident. I'm so sorry. Those were her exact words.
1: Yeah. Um, they had been doing CPR on him since we had driven up there. So as, as soon as they told us, uh, they pulled us into to the room um, where we could see him. And... Uh, once we got there, they they stopped doing CPR and uh, called time on death. So they were basically uh, doing that till we got to the hospital, so we could see them Wow. And that that's kind of the experience.
0: <laughs> on behalf of our listeners, a lot they're in tears right now. We're just so grateful for you sharing it. It just awful day that beautiful day with that facebook live video and that awful like, where you are right now in the ER realizing he didn't make it tell our listeners I want to go back a little bit were there any any feelings ahead of time that this might be Wesley's journey to leave earth life at age three
1: I had some specific experiences um we were talking before, basically about six months before this happened, uh, I was driving home from the temple, I think, with Camille, and I just had a thought like, Wesley's going to pass away. And first I was like, well, that's silly. I mean, it's just kind of a worried parent thought. <laughs> And after I had that thought, I was like, well, God, if you do that, I'm going to be seriously pissed off, (laughs) you know, just putting my take in on it in case, you know, something strange actually were to happen. Um, and then I had the same experience, uh, maybe a month or two before, uh, we were driving home from the temple again and the thought popped into my head, Wesley's going to die. And I was like, okay, that's twice now. Um, I'm starting to feel a little more concerned. So I just brought it up to Camille this time. I feel like she's the the spiritually strong one in our relationship in certain ways. Anyways. Um, I was like, have you ever had this experience or this thought? And, you know, she just kind of brushed it off like strange, worried parent.
2: But you didn't tell me that both were coming home from the temple. I would have been a little more concerned if that was the case.
1: Well, we were driving home from the temple. I didn't tell her about the first one. Yeah. Um, so that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, so we just kind of brushed it off. I forgot about it. Um, and it was really helpful after the fact, though, because you know, obviously, when a child passes away, you get anger's part of the the, the grief you go through. And I was, um, I was the main parent trying to save Wesley. So so how it happened is uh, when I went up, I was. I was trying to get the bull out and uh, Camille kind of ran off to try and find an EMT neighbor. I and... was
2: like a chicken with her head cut off. I didn't know what I was doing.
1: So I was upstairs and our...
2: you did a
0: great job to call 911 yeah. so quickly, yeah.
2: especially when you sort of had training and,
0: and some experience as a mom. I That's one of the things I think I really admire you doing because at that point it wasn't a life or death situation. No, And for you to call 911 so quickly, I think is a, Tender mercy, you don't have mm-hmm. regret. Wondering if I had called nine one one five minutes earlier, what right. would happen?
2: I called them right away.
0: So I think, even though you say you you left the house with like a whatever <laughs> you said, with head cut off. I think you did a really good job, and I think our listeners would want me to say that to you because they feel the same way. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that was key. I, I feel like because so I was upstairs trying to get it out, and um, at, at one point. Um, his, his mouth clamped shut. He was kind of shaking. Um, he wasn't really crying or anything. Um, but I hit a point basically where I was like, I'm not going to get this out. I can't get it out. What do I do? Started panicking. So I scooped him up, ran outside. Um, and at that point, that's when the police officer was there handed them off, and he held them for us. But uh, the point I want to make is that those experiences were tremendously helpful because you get so angry as a father and as the person that was working on your child and, and not being able to save him and going through your head over and over and over, what could I have done, what should I have done? He shouldn't have even had access to these bolts. Why didn't I know about them? You know, just second guessing everything. Um, And then being reminded of those two impressions I had uh, and being to rely on them heavily heavily, um, was just a tremendous blessing for me because it's so easy to just go around and around in your head, like, what should I have done better? What could I have done? Um, and just knowing it was God's purpose to take Him.
0: Do you do that around and around in your head still? Every day, once a week, once a month?
1: Luckily, I don't, and I contributed
0: Talk entirely. about how you've moved on past that, just for others that yeah. want to get to where you are. Um, and maybe Camille will do the same thing.
1: You know, honestly, for me, um, it's just time. And, and people would tell, tell me that when it happened and I, I would want to punch him in the face. I was like, no, this is never going to get better. It's never going to feel okay. Um, but it's just time and relying on those impressions and relying on God, even when I didn't want to, even when I was mad at him, there's a time where, I didn't want to go to church. I just felt sick to my stomach every time I was in the church building. It just felt...
2: Well, that's where we had his funeral too.
1: Yeah. It just felt empty for a while. And that had nothing to do with God, just had, had to do with me and where I was at and where I was feeling. You feel numb for so long, but slowly as, as you rely on God... Um, time helps to heal and like, obviously, you know, it's still raw if you ever talk it or talk about it or bring it up, but it does, it does get easier. Um, but it's a tricky process.
2: Also my mom, I remember we were in the hospital after, after he had passed and we just spent a few hours there. She called me. And she said, you know, I haven't told anybody this, but back in Thanksgiving, this last Thanksgiving, they were, my parents were thinking about paying for the family to do family photos together. And they found this, this place in Salt Lake that will take a photo of each individual family and put them together. So it looks like it's the same photo, you know what I'm talking about? And she might
0: like, be on South temple.
2: <laughs> they might be. <laughs> anyway, my mom was debating. She's like, do I want to spend the money now? Should we wait? Cause my brother was in a relationship and she thought they might get, end up getting married. She thought, why would we do it now? We could just wait till if they got married, we could wait till the wedding. And she had this very specific prompting that said, do it now. I'm going to add somebody to your family, but I'm also going to take someone away. So do it now. Wow. And she thought, I'm not going to tell anybody. That was kind of morbid. And I, I'm not sure if that was from the spirit or not, but it was definitely clear. So we're going to do it.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah. So that her telling me that was helpful. Also, when we were sitting at his funeral, it hadn't started yet. And it felt, of course, like so surreal. The spirit told me this date has been in the calendar for a long time. This is the date for his funeral. Like there's nothing you could have done about it.
0: What is that date?
2: Is it June is the Saturday after June 3rd or fourth?
0: That's okay. Yeah. 2018.
2: Yeah, I think it was it was hard, to, you know honestly, that whole time's a blur because his mother passed away three days after Wesley died. and so then we had a funeral the following Saturday in California, and I believe that was the tenth, so I think ours was the third. It was just a big blur.
0: Talk about um, <clears throat> when you feel like Wesley's spirit left his body. Yeah. Because he was pronounced dead in the hospital. Is his death certificate, if that's right, vocabulary mm-hmm. is kind of when you arrived in the hospital, I guess, the time. Yeah. Do you feel that's when his spirit left his body or do you feel it happened at earlier time?
2: So the police officer that Jeff handed him off to was holding him on our lawn in the front of the house, waiting for the paramedics to come and he was just keeping him stable. And Wesley was still lightly breathing. And then he stopped breathing while he was still in the police officer's arms and he wasn't breathing for about a minute, maybe a minute and a half before the first responders got there. And I feel like that's when his spirit left his body. We both had that prompting within a couple of days of him passing where we were discussing, you know, I don't think like his birth certificate will say primary children's, but I don't think that's where he passed away. I think he passed away in the arms of the police officer and we emailed the police officer to thank him for everything he did that day. Because the the team, they were amazing. The police officer, the paramedics, the firefighters, they were incredible. And I just wanted them to like feel our gratitude because like it was very personal for them too. It was a little child. And we just emailed and said, this is our thought. This is our feeling that he passed away in your arms. And he wrote us back and he said, that was my feeling too. Oh. And we actually had two or three rows of first responders at his funeral. Wow. Well. Yeah.
0: Was there hope when he got on that life flight helicopter with the bolt out and breathing started? Was there a feeling that I thought he was going to be okay because yeah. that would be if I'm if I'm in that moment with you, that was a moment of maybe the worst has past. You know, he's the bolt's out, he's breathing.
2: He's in the hands of the experts. He's is he that was,
0: a feeling that you yeah, felt? That I really didn't okay? think he
2: was going to die. I was just thinking he might need an emergency surgery. What if it tore his esophagus or something? Like, what if? I don't know. I wasn't concerned that like the the worst the darkest thoughts were that he passed away but i was like thinking probably not why would i go there like there's so much hope
1: yeah i remember when we were talking about it at that time um she's like you know they got it out uh, the discussion really was like you know will he have some brain damage or something or is you know did the bolt cause some sort of damage they're going to have to heal we weren't thinking he was going to pass away at, at that point at all. I don't No. Think.
2: And I felt peace. Like I was trying to, I was trying to feel the spirit and receive personal revelation, but like during a trauma, there's so much going on. It's really hard to just be still. And so I was trying to just, you know, pray and communicate. And I did feel peace, but I knew from a previous family friend that passed away that does peace doesn't always mean they're going to survive on this earth.
0: Um, yeah, I'd love to talk. Um, in fact, I'm reading a note you wrote to me as we prepared for this interview. I feel like part of my life mission is to be open about my trials <laughs> and so people be more open. So you've talked just with our listeners, Camille, why you've decided to talk about this and why you have started this blog. Um, why?
2: I think it was really important for my healing. I'm a very creative person. Writing's an outlet for me. And I wanted to share that, but I also want people to have hope because I've had all these experiences feeling the veil be thin and knowing that Wesley's not just gone serving some mission in the universe somewhere else. Like he's been a really connected close part of our family and he, he's not far. I remember feeling depressed after he passed away Before I started my clothing company, I did life coaching for a little bit. Before I had kids, I got certified after I graduated from BYU in sociology because there's not a lot of jobs for sociology majors. So you have to kind of get creative. So I went to life coaching school. And one of the techniques we learned there is you, if you're feeling sad or you're feeling negative emotion, you try to identify the thought that got you there because thoughts create emotions. That's where they originate from is thoughts. So the thought that I found myself thinking over and over was, I've lost my son. I've lost my son. And that was really just brought on feelings of despair. And so then I, I I asked questions to the thought. So this is the technique you ask four questions. The first thought is, is it the first, first question is, is it true? Is it true? You've lost your son. It's like, yeah, I, I did. He's not here. He died. And the second question, is it really true? Can you absolutely know it's true that you've lost your son? And I had to sit there for a while. It's kind of like meditation. And I just thought, is it really true? Have I lost, have I lost him? Is he gone? And part of me felt like, yes, it's true. He's gone. He died. And other parts of me thought, no, because I still feel him a lot. And just because I can't see him doesn't mean he's not, he's lost to me. I mean, I know because of the doctrine that he'll forever be my child, but even though he's not here physically, that doesn't necessarily mean I've lost him that's on me. If I choose to not connect with him or not try to feel him when he's around, like that's something I have control over. And so then the third question is how would you feel if you didn't believe that you'd lost your son? How would you be different? And I just felt more relaxed. I'd be more at peace. I'd feel, I feel closer to him because if I'm saying I've lost him, I've lost him. I'm basically denying the fact that I could feel him. I'm not allowing myself to feel him. If I'm just stuck with that thought that I've lost him. And then the last thing is you take the original thought and you turn it around. So I haven't lost him. What are three reasons why I haven't lost Wesley? Well, I know he's, you know, eternally sealed to me. Number two, he, he's around. I can feel him sometimes. I can just, I know Wesley's here right now. If I'm really just trying to relax and feel the spirit and connect, I can feel him sometimes. And The third reason was I know I hadn't lost Wesley was because the kids would say like, you know, I can feel him too. Like it wasn't just me. So I knew he was there. I knew even though he wasn't physically with me, I hadn't completely lost him.
0: Anything to add to that Jeff? That's Uh, great. Camille.
1: Yeah. I'd like to just add on to, to what she said about feeling him. Um, it's been our experience that he's around a lot and and if usually if we're not feeling him it's because we're we're not in the right place you know i think i think a lot of people think you know they pass on you know they're busy doing whatever it is they're doing and you know maybe they check in once i don't know once a year whatever but our experience has been that he's there for a lot of experiences a lot of family experiences and it might just be like our immediate family we're just together we're enjoying each other we're having an uplifting time together and then all of a sudden we'll feel him and we'll be like and we've been really good about saying hey i feel west right now do you feel west and asking the kids if they do and um i love that that's been a really good experience and it's helped all of us realize that he's still a part of our family and and by that i mean like he's Around, He's in our home a lot. And, and I think you'll get different experiences with with people who have lost a of loved one, whether they feel that or not. And I don't, it's my personal opinion that it's, it's not because that person's not around. It's just that maybe they maybe they don't have the gift of feeling them as strongly as others or i think they are always around there if if we are open and able to feel them
2: and sometimes for you it's not a feeling sometimes it's cognitive it's a thought wesley's here and then you think oh is wesley here and then that's when you maybe feel it
1: yeah and that's how how my spiritual experiences generally are for me it's cognitive and i'm like and then I think about it, and I try and feel, and and that's when I know. And she feels him differently.
2: Yeah, I sometimes it's a thought for me too. Well, because when he originally, when he first passed away, I was feeling him close to me, almost like he was, like, protecting me, feeling bad for me, not wanting to leave me. And then maybe a month or two later, I wasn't feeling him as often, and I was starting to worry, is he going away? And I we have a a close family friend. Now she was Wesley's preschool teacher and they got really close and she spoke at his funeral actually. And his, his entire funeral is on the blog. You can listen to it. Um, there's audio clips for everything, but she, she has a friend and neighbor who's an artist. Her name's Jean Keaton. And she does a lot of art for it's people that have passed away, their loved ones. She sketches them. She has this gift for capturing their actual personality. When you look at the picture, that's Wesley she she got it. And she can capture his light and his sweetness and just this love that, that comes from that picture. And she had an experience, it's on her website, but she was doing a picture of a child who had passed away. And she remembered a conversation she had with a mother of a different child that she had drawn. And this mother said, you know, I gear up for those days where I know I'm going to be the saddest, the birthdays, the holidays where I know I'm going to miss that child. And those are the hardest days, but it's also the times when they randomly come into my thoughts that it really affects me. You know, when I get upset, those are really hard because they just come out of nowhere. And she had this prompting while she was paint or drawing. Um, Whereas if that child came to her and said, tell my mom those times when she thinks about me and she breaks into tears, that's when I'm there. She can talk to me. That's so cool. I realized just because I'm not feeling him maybe it's because I'm not paying attention to these thoughts that are coming into my mind. And I, I wasn't, I'd be folding laundry and I would think about him, like just randomly, I'd, he'd be in my mind and then I keep folding laundry, but then I realized, you know, he could be there. So when I had that thought pop in with Wesley, I think, Wesley, are you here? And then I can start to feel him. You just have to explore it a little bit.
0: I love these stories. Talk about anger. Just talk about the grief cycles you've gone through um, I've learned, and I've learned to honor people that get angry at God, mm-hmm. because that seems to be part of pain. Is a primary emotion, and anger is a secondary emotion that gets directed at people in a pretty logical way. And I've sort mm-hmm. of learned that anger at God is okay. Yeah, and maybe a period of after a period of time, agency fully kicks in, and you need to get beyond that. But I've learned that if we sort of don't honor anger and pain makes it harder for people to go through the grieving process. So just share with our listeners, the grieving process or whatever you want to share about that.
2: Yeah. Initially it's shock, anger, disbelief. And I think we did a good job with each other. We would, we were really open. We had some friends that lost a son from SIDS the year before, and they gave us some really good advice. They said, don't blame each other. Don't play the what if game. And, and just be open with each other. And so we would talk with each other about, you know, I'm feeling angry at God. You know, I am too. Why would he do this? Why did he take our son? Because as a parent, biologically, you're wired to want to protect your kids. And so when your kid is, it feels like they're ripped away from you. It's like, God, why would you wire me this way to make me hurt so bad? But that's life. We're mortals. You know, we can't experience things the way Like, for example, I was so torn up about the way he passed away. I knew that Wesley's death wasn't pretty. It was traumatic, you know? He was choking. I was worried about, was he in pain? And um, I prayed. I specifically said, Heavenly Father, I need to know what he experienced that day. Because my experience was awful, but I need to know what it was from his point of view. What did he go through? It was beautiful. It was nothing like my experience. His experience was was light. And my experience was dark. I mean, there were lots of tender mercies, but to be honest, it was, my experience was very difficult and his was beautiful going to heaven, you know? So I was able to experience that and feel that for a glimpse. And that really helped me know that he wasn't suffering. Um, I'm reading a book, my great uncle, ironically, his name's Wesley as well. He wrote a book called, where do we go from here? And, um, and as he was prompted, he was speaking at, a as a state president of friends, granddaughter's funeral, and she died, uh, I believe it was at a car crash that was fiery. And he prompt, felt prompted to say that her spirit left her body the instant before the crash. And I just know that his experience wasn't painful. It wasn't awful. It wasn't dark. Um, I mean, and logically I would think that he's a child, Heavenly Father loves children doesn't want to make them suffer, but still, you're going to be stuck with those thoughts and feelings and questions. And so, I did feel anger towards God, and it's natural. And I realized that it's okay to feel that. Like you have to let it pass through you. It's like any emotion. If you feel disappointment or sa- sadness, and you try to block it and say, I shouldn't be feeling this way, and try to edit what's going on, you're never going to get past it. So, if you just let yourself feel it, and sometimes it's going to make you break down and sob, and that's okay you just let it happen because you trust that it's not going to always be there. It's like ocean waves. It's never going to be the same The tide comes in and out. You know, it's, you just have to let it be. And the anger I felt towards God. And sometimes I still feel like on his birthday, I was like, "Why? Well, I just wish we were actually celebrating with him. You know, it's his birthday, June 23rd. Okay, So he just had his birthday. And you feel that. I remember we went to a family camp after he died, and there was a slideshow at the end, and there was a picture of these two brothers, a brown haired boy and a blonde-haired boy, and they were laying in the grass together, and the pictures were going by like every three seconds. And so for a second, I'm like, that's Wesley and Chad. It looked just like them. And then I felt angry, like, God took Wesley away. He can't be here with us. Um, I remember after we he passed, we went on a family road trip, and we were running around in these splash pads in Washington. And I was thinking about it after we got home. And I was thinking, yeah, that was so much fun. Wesley and Olivia were running around in the splash pad. And then I thought, no, Wesley wasn't there because he had already passed away. But it was weird because it's like I visually could see him kind of in my memory running around with Olivia. And then I had a strong prompting that he actually was there and that he would be there for many, most of our family events like that. And he, so things like that have helped with the anger, like realizing it's heavenly father's plan, but obviously I'm a person. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm going to sometimes still feel angry at God and that's okay.
0: Jeff,
1: Yeah. Uh, two things that I want to hit on. Um, like I mentioned, I had those, those promptings that Wesley was going to pass away and that helped, uh, a little bit with my guilt, but I was still angry at God and, and it's okay. That That's the first thing I think I want people to really understand is it's okay to be angry and you're going to be angry and you're going to get over it. And then you're going to be angry again. It's,
2: it's, <laughs> it's not like where you pass that grief stage. You're like, okay, I'm on to the step two. I'm never going to go back to step one. It's a hodgepodge. You're going to feel them all the time.
1: Yeah. You're going to jump around. Some days I was doing great. Other days I was really angry and put a hole in the wall. I mean, and it's okay. You just got to, and you need to feel those feelings. Um, but don't feel guilty about it. That's what I really want to let people know is don't feel guilty about being angry with God. It's, it's a natural feeling and, and it's okay. I mean, like Camille said, like, you don't want to dwell on it too much. Um, you know, because this is something that you need to, you're going to have scars from and you're going to have to heal over, but it's okay to have those feelings. You're not a bad person because you're angry at God for what happened. Even when you have impressions and know it was God's plan. I mean, it's okay.
2: Yeah. And those scars will never completely heal. I know that in this life, those scars will not completely heal. The atonement can help strengthen me, but like, I'm still going to be scarred forever until, until we're together again.
0: Um, you said this, is that's a great segment, both of you. That's just excellent. Um, before we went live, um, I visited with this couple and Camille said something that struck me. In fact, the word struck is in there. Don't get, oh, sorry, it's not. Don't get stuck there. Um, let it grow through you. Just explain that concept. That's a really well-worded statement.
2: I think sometimes we have, maybe it's church culture to chin up be cheerful. And so if you start feeling feelings of anger towards God, they're unfamiliar and you feel hesitant to like experience that and to feel that, but it's really healthy to just let yourself feel it because he took something so precious that you were supposed to take care of that you didn't ever plan on this happening. So, and this can relate to any situation in life, not just the loss of a child, any loss or change that, you know, causes the grief stages. You can feel angry at God. He loves you no matter what um, he doesn't want you to always believe that thought. Like the thought could be maybe that causes the anger. Like God did this to me, or he doesn't love me or he tricked me or he hates me. That thought can come and you can let it go through you, but you don't need to hold on to it and believe it. Yes, he does. He doesn't love me. He did this to trick me. Like you don't want to get deceived, but you, it's okay to be human and to let you yourself experience that and feel that and let it pass through. It's like the ocean waves. They they come and they go. They never say the same.
0: That's good. I love that. I just, I love the permission you're giving people to feel these feelings, but the thought of don't let it get stuck there, just develop the ability to not stew on it overly. I'm not using as good as words as you're using and just being able to move through it. And you have some really good skills that you both picked up along the way to be able to do this.
2: I don't think I'd be able to handle this as well if I hadn't dealt with some mental health issues when I was in my early adulthood, teenage, um, I would catch myself feeling down over and over again. Why am I feeling so sad? So I was able to identify this is a thought that what's the thought that's putting me in this mood. You know, what's the thought? Am I believing something that's not true? So I think sometimes it's easy to get stuck when you're believing thoughts like God tricked me he promised me something that I don't have. Um, I even remember I was at a funeral for my friend's son. And I remember just kind of taking a break and walking the cemetery by myself and thinking I could never go through with what she just did. It was about a year before Wesley died. I could never do this. I couldn't, I would, it would break me. And I prayed, Heavenly Father, please don't ever let this happen to me. I couldn't handle it. And I remember, I don't know where it came from, but I had this thought that's like, it will never happen to you. And I was like, ah, oh, I feel so much better. And then it happened. And I, I remembered that. And I thought, heavenly father, I don't even know if that, that wasn't the spirit. It was just a thought that came into my mind. And instead of thinking he tricked me, I, I, cause, because I had so many experiences that confirmed that Wesley was supposed to die. I just thought, you know, sometimes, sometimes things happen and you think that you've got it all figured out and then you don't. And then you th- it's easy to think God tricked me and that, you just have to, you just have to kind of work with it. It did, did God trick me? Like what's true? Should I like listen to this one fleeting thought I had that one time, or should I listen to all of these spiritual experiences that confirmed over and over, this was my plan for Wesley and that peace that came, what am I going to, what am I going to hold on to?
0: Um, Jeff, you said church was hard for you for a period of time. And maybe both of you felt that way. Just tell our listeners, cause obviously you believe in the church and you believe in God and this isn't rebellion or, or desire to separate yourself from the body of Christ, but help our listeners just understand why church, I can't, just was hard for you and how you work through that.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, you feel empty for a long time, like something's missing because something is missing. And, um, I think part of it was social. I, I just didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, I didn't want them to tell me they were sorry for me. Um, I just wanted to stay away. So, so part of it was social like that. I just didn't want to be around people. Um, and and the other part, like I was I was angry with God. I was like I was mad with him. And so I was like well, I'm mad with you. Like, I don't want to do things like go to church. Like, I know that's what you... <laughs> it sounds childish almost. Uh, but I'm like, I don't want to go to church. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm I'm supposed to, you know, keep my chin up, go to church, be strong, feel like, you know, everything's going to be okay. And I was like, everything's not going to be okay. This isn't okay. And and I was, I was mad and I was like, I don't... Um, I don't know how long it's going to be before I go to church and feel comfortable there. And, and, and to be clear, like our, our ward in our neighborhood in general was amazing, was absolutely phenomenal. I, I honestly don't know that we would have gone through this whole situation as well as we did with, without their support. And even with that absolutely amazing situation of having their love and support, I just didn't want to be there and be around them. And uh, I was angry for a long time. Uh, sometimes we would just go to sacrament meeting and skip out. Um, it was honestly hard to feel the spirit and feel happy a lot. It
2: took you a while to go back to the temple too, maybe a year.
1: Yeah, it took me a lot longer than Camille. Um, and part of that was my my anger. I think I... You can tell me if this isn't true, Camille, but I feel like I had a lot more anger than she did, or at least for a longer period of time.
2: You also had more trauma too, though.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah. And part of that was I didn't want to go to the temple, um, which is silly because, you know, you would think that that would be like one of the best places that I could feel Wesley and be close to him and close to Heavenly Father. But I was seriously ticked off. I was angry. I was so angry. And I just... I didn't know if I was going to keep going to church. I didn't really want to, I, I with the way that I felt, and um, just as I healed, and over time, I, I eventually felt more comfortable there, and like I said, everyone there was great, um, welcoming and loving and understanding, uh, but even when I was going back to church, I didn't want to go to the temple again, it was obstinance or something. But
2: I think you knew it would be very emotional too, or maybe you feel vulnerable. That's probably avoiding that.
1: That's an accurate statement. I think I knew it'd be emotional and it'd be difficult. And I just didn't want to deal with it.
2: Yeah. Cause we went, so his mom passed away the week after, or sorry, three days after Wesley died. And the week after his funeral, we went to California for Jeff's mom's funeral. And I don't think you were feeling very well. Like, like you had kind of a stomach bug maybe because I went to the temple with Jeff's, dad and sisters you didn't come um you weren't feeling well anyway he didn't wasn't able to come we did ceilings and it was extremely emotionally raw for me i mean my son had passed away a week and a half before my face was red and puffy and like ugly crying face in the temple and i like couldn't hide it it was just i just couldn't stop crying when we were doing the ceilings and um it was a special experience though, because I had a song come to my mind when we were sitting there doing the ceilings. And I wrote a song based on experience we'd had around his death in the hospital. Actually, the, um, he had a tender mercy with Jeff's family, with the ER nurse who took care of Wesley's body after we left, she was on shift and she was amazing. Like they were amazing. I, I couldn't do their job. I couldn't do it, but she, she was really sweet. And then Jeff, you got an Instagram message or something from a friend you grew up with from your ward. Yeah. And she said, I think my friend was the one who was the nurse that day. Um, without breaking HIPAA, like she, her friend made a post on Instagram about how she, it was a hard day at the hospital and she had her kids come during her break to be with her because it was really hard. And then she saw that and then she reached out to her friend and said, my, my, my friend's son passed away at Primary Children's. Is that what you're talking about? And they were able to connect the dots. And she just said you know, my, my friend wants to send her love to you again, the nurse. And so I messaged the nurse on Instagram and I said, thank you so much for everything you did for us. I couldn't do what you do. And she wrote back and she said, she said, you are so strong. I've never seen anyone let the angels carry them the way you did. And so in the temple, I wrote a song called let the angels carry you. And it was inspired by what she said. And
0: that song's on your blog.
2: Yeah. It's on the blog. It's on iTunes too, but you can listen to it for free on the blog. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I admire you being so open, Jeff, With just how you felt and your good wife. I sense making space for you to feel the way you felt and not, and you're, you're both grieving the same horrible experience, but it's a little different. And you're and church and the temple is a little different for you than it is for Camille and if I had been, let's just role play. If I'd been your priesthood or leader, or your buddy, and you opened up to me about, I don't feel like going to church and I don't feel like going to temple. What's how, what should I say to you in that situation? If I'm your buddy, or your priesthood leader, um, just to, <laughs> just to help others that want to know the right thing to say to someone who kind of vulnerably opens up with those kind of feelings.
1: That's a, that's a hard situation. Um, I honestly don't know what I would say to someone, (laughs) you know, having experienced it myself. Um, I definitely know that pushing them is the wrong move. I would have, I would have lashed out at anyone that tried to push me towards, towards that before I felt personally ready. But then, but then at the same time, Camille would gently nudge me and, you know, I think it's better honestly coming from from my wife, my spouse, then coming from a priesthood person. So I think honestly just listening. I think just being willing to sit there and listen and not judge how they're feeling and being supportive is the best thing you can do because honestly, it it has to be that person's decision to be willing to go back and, and try, try that again.
0: That's a good, were you opening up to many people and about how you felt about church and the temple? You were with Camille, I assume, but was that something you're keeping pretty private?
1: Yeah, I kept it really private, even from Camille for a long time. Um, I, I think she knew, you know, but I wouldn't really talk about it openly with her for a while. Um, and honestly, I wasn't completely self-aware about the situation either. I, I just knew I didn't want to go and I didn't want to be there. Um, so I was very private about it.
0: And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I just think there's people that get in that spot and it's not because they're not worthy of the temple or they're rebelling against God. It's just sort of potentially re-traumatizing or it's just you're your heart has got these spears through it with Wesley being gone. And sometimes environments or situations remind you of that, or it just, so I don't think that's a sign of weakness or lack of faith. Um, I, Cause there's nothing, there's no rebellion in you um, that I sense or desire to turn away from God. It's just pain related and wanting to sort of self protect yourself from more pain and emotional trauma. And yeah. so I think I just honor your journey there and admire you sort of working through that and both of you working through that.
1: I appreciate that. I just want to add one more quick thing to that. Um, I, I do know what I'd recommend to someone that were, was or is in my position. And, and that is, I, I think I was waiting to to feel completely normal again or to feel safe where I wouldn't have raw feelings before I wanted to go back. And that's not going to be the case. Uh, and so my advice to someone who is you know, not wanting to go back or is considering is you're just going to have to push through some uncomfortableness. And, and I had to do that. And once I did that, I was fine. It, it's just that first time going back and pushing through those hard feelings, the raw feelings, and it's going to take take some pushing.
2: And, you know, when you have like that tender heart, you're able to impact people in a special way. Because, Jeff, I mean, I don't remember really you missing a lot of church. We we had a primary calling together. We taught a class, and so we went back and taught after a few weeks. Maybe you didn't come with me every time. but But when you're teaching these lessons about, you know, eternal families or anything really you can tie in. I mean, that's what was in my heart. So we talked about Wesley a lot in that primary class. We had the 11, year olds. And I, I think the topic might've even just been prayer. And I was t- teaching about how prayer had connected me to the atonement, which connected me to the Jesus's love and helped me with this really hard time. And sometimes the kids, I would get teary in class and sometimes the kids would get teary. And I remember one Sunday, one of the boys was saying the closing prayer and he started to cry in the middle of the prayer. And he just said, thank you so much for Wesley. Wow. Oh. And then after he closed the prayer, he said, Wesley was here. Oh. And the kids could feel it. And one of the other kids that was experienced that got up and bore his testimony the next Sunday and talked about it. So we had some pretty special experiences. You have a lot to offer when your heart is broken. When your heart is like oozing out, you have a lot to offer. So it's a really for other people, it's a gift for them to be able to like, maybe get to be a part of that journey with you because you're going to be so open you know, whereas now I could teach that same primary class and I wouldn't be as open. My heart's a little like less, it's not oozing as much.
0: So, our listeners, that's one of the coolest phrases in the whole year I've heard. At oozing? That <laughs> one too, but you have a lot to offer when your heart is broken.
2: You have so much to offer.
0: What, what, just pause on that statement. What an incredibly insightful statement.
2: If you're willing to share it with people. You have to be willing to talk about it. You have to be willing to be open. I remember, this is kind of a funny reference, but the movie Charlie, remember that LDS movie, Charlie? Like who wrote those books? Wyland. Back, I used to read them when I was a teenager. They were huge. There's a movie called Charlie and they were doing a Relief Society lesson and the question in the movie, and this is from the book, the question was, what do you and your husband like to do for fun together? And she's a convert and she just wants to be open. She's like bright eyed and she raises her hand. She says, we like to make love. And everyone just looks at her like, what did you just say? Because everyone, everyone else is like, we like to garden. We like to, you know, and she's just being super honest. And I thought that was hilarious, but I thought it was so, it had a like important truth behind it is if you'll be honest and real about what you're going through, Sunday school lessons and Relief Society lessons go from kind of like looking at the clock. Okay, there's 15 minutes left too. I just got so much out of that because everyone's being really honest right now.
0: That's really great. I think of Elder Holland's talk as Broken Vessel when he opened up his, about his emotional...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't remember the vocabulary he used, but he was vulnerable. He was open. And we got an insight in this great leader that is real and human and goes through dark days and dark periods of time. And my love for him only increased. Mm-hmm. And if he walked in the house, which he never will, <laughs> but if he did... I just know somebody that I would feel comfortable because he's real and human. Mm -hmm. And if I needed to open up to him because he's been vulnerable, then I would feel safe doing that versus the culture we sometimes have at church. I sometimes get a little cynical and say Sunday school turns into the best answer club. And (laughs) the 10% that always kind of have the best answers shine. And the 90% of us that either don't have the best answers or have real vulnerable things going in our life we'd like to share are sort of muted. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't become... You can't always have that kind of experience. You do need to talk about good answers and good yeah. doctrinally sound questions. But that is a really powerful insight you just shared. And it's really powerful because I think there's a lot of listeners, including me, and that at times have broken hearts. And then we think that we're not, we can't help other people. We can't serve. We have nothing to offer because of our difficult roads. But it's really then perhaps, just like you said, that's when we can do the most good for other people.
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's so true. I have a friend, the ones whose son passed away before ours, he's really into hot air ballooning and we, I got to go down to St. George and go up in the hot air balloon with him. It was really cool. He's a pilot. And he texted me after, cause I said, thank you. That was amazing. Thanks for doing that. Like that was really cool. And he says, you know, it makes me feel closer to my son Brody when I go up there and he says, I do it for him. I love to see the joy and the, the happiness it gives people. Like what a pure offering
0: talk about platitudes. In an earlier podcast, maybe a year and a half ago, um, Dr. Huntsman, a religion professor at BYU, um, helped me understand the word platitude in a way I've never understood it before. I've heard that word my whole life, but it I sort of define it as something that I say to somebody that's grieving that kind of keeps me emotionally safe. I don't have to sort of fully understand the difficulty of the road. So I'll say something kind of Right, mm-hmm. um, that dismisses your pain. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe just kind of keeps me emotionally safe in that, in that process. Talk about perhaps culturally some platitudes that were told to you during this time that didn't really resonate or weren't really helpful. So just so we can do better.
2: Well, so the most common one is, well, we're so grateful for the plan of salvation. You know, you can see your son again someday. <laughs> And I mean, of course, that's, that's nice to hear. But in the moment, once your son passes away, you don't want to see your son in 70 years when I kick the bucket, you know, I want to see I want to have a ongoing relationship with him now. And so I remember a very well intentioned relative said that to me, like, at the viewing and just said, aren't you so grateful that you'll get to see him again someday. And I thought, I looked at her straight in the eyes. And I said, Yes, I'm very grateful, but you know what? That's not enough for me. I want to feel him now. I want to have a relationship with him now. I don't want to just wait and put it off. I want to continue being close to him now and feeling close to him and figuring out how that can be possible because it's totally a new road for me.
0: Other ones that come to mind? I'm trying to think. Um think
1: most of the the stupid things were said to you. (laughs) And you know, our friend that had had children pass away actually warned us. Um, She's like, you know, people are going to be well-meaning, but they're going to say some stupid things to you and you just need to smile and say thank you.
2: Yeah. I've had a few. Somebody said, what was the last thing that you said to him before he died? Like, like it was a Hallmark movie that we were going to tie up with a bow. Like, I love you, son. You know, that wasn't my last words to him. My last words to him was go to bed and I wasn't happy. I had lost my patience. And honestly, I actually struggled with that a lot because he wanted to come out of his room. He said, mom, if I'm really good, can I just not take a nap today? And I said, no, Wesley, you need to go take a nap. It was the last thing I said. And it was sharp said okay and I, I've beaten myself what if I had just let him out what if he hadn't taken a nap like he wouldn't have died but then I thought you know he really had this weird thing with like those bouncy balls that he would like chew them in half and I don't even know where he found them because I would just throw them away the second I found them whole or broken but I found a couple with like within the last couple of weeks before he died that were just chewed in half and he would like stick him I found the stash the side of his bed um he had a little stash of like half bouncy balls over there. And I thought, you know, I could have said, sure, Wesley, it's fine. It's Memorial Day, whatever. We'll go to the pool later. We'll just deal with it today. Don't take a nap. You'll be cranky. It's okay. I could have said that and he could have happily played in his room for another 20 minutes and the same exact outcome would have happened because he loved playing in his room. So I did beat myself up about that. Um, So that's not a good thing to say to somebody is don't ask them what's the last thing you said because it might like incite a lot of guilt And I had to work through that. Actually, Wesley helped me. I remember on the flight to Jeff's mom's funeral, I was feeling really guilty about it and just stewing. I was stuck in that. And I felt him like trying to cheer me up and like, mom, it's okay. And I just couldn't let it go. And so I was just feeling terrible. And then I felt him come to me again. And instead he's changed his tactic and he was using humor and he said, mom, do we have a problem here? I do we have a problem here? I was like, no, Wesley, I'll stop beating myself up about it. And he's like, good, <laughs> stop it already. Because it wasn't working when he was just being sweet. So he had to like use some humor to get to me. Um, so don't ask somebody what the last thing you said to your child was before they passed. And then the other thing happened, um, someone was trying to use him as a cautionary tale. She works in healthcare and she's like, Oh, I've helped lots of people, that I've made, made it to warn them that there's so many choking hazards in the house. And I've talked about Wesley a lot. So when she first mentioned, she talked about Wesley a lot. I thought, Oh, she brought up like, Oh, I have this sweet neighbor boy, but he, his whole essence to her was this cautionary tale. And I didn't like that because right. it, it kind of dismissed his, the essence of him. Yeah. Um, How and about then,
0: this idea that he's really busy or needed more on the other uh, side. I've heard that yeah. before that.
2: Yeah. So my friend who's this loving Heavenly father,
0: took somebody away because he's actually needed more on the other right. side. Of like another. as if
2: I didn't need him and he needed him more. Yeah. So my friend, she said, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you your child's serving a mission. She's like, that's true, but you have to realize a lot of their mission is going to be with your family cool. for your family. So when we went on that road trip to Washington, there was this park that had this, um, like lamb taken off and on the tree there was written the words, uh like love is eternal and like you lose people but your love is eternal something like that and i saw it and i thought this is perfect this is what i was supposed to see this we were supposed to stop at this park um because because even though you're going to feel disconnected from them there's going to be so many tender mercies if you open your heart and see things like that like wesley brought us to this park we were supposed to be here um His mission is with our family. Like he's not always going to be with me. Actually, I have my mom's friend. She didn't come to the funeral. She lives in California. She's never met Wesley before, but she and my mom are close friends. And my mom sent her the audio from the funeral that we recorded. And she really loved the preschool teacher's talk, at the funeral that Wesley was really encouraged. He was an encourager. So with the other kids, when they would master any skill at preschool, like letters or whatever, he's just good job. I knew you could do it. And he would do the same thing with himself. You know, he'd practice his letter W. And when he'd get it right, he'd say, I knew I could do it. And he was so happy and just really bright light. And she had a, she had a review at work. And she was re- nervous about her review. This is my mom's friend. And she would think in her mind, Wesley, I'm going to, like, yeah. she's, like I, and then she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be brave. And then after her review, it went really well. She thought to herself, Wesley, I did it. And then she called my mom afterwards, she said, because she's a convert to the church and she's new to religion and spiritual things. And she called my mom, she says, Annette, is it possible or even normal that after I thought something like that, that I could hear him like a little voice saying something back, can spirits talk back to you? And my mom said, yeah, like not everybody has that gift. I don't necessarily, but it's a possibility. She says, because after that review, I thought to myself, I thought, "Wesley, I did it." And I heard a sweet little voice say back to me, "I knew you could." It's cool. Yeah. So she she texted me yesterday. She's like, and we always talk. It's like, "How have you felt, Wesley?" And she's like, "Yeah, he's really encouraging and every time I need him, he's there." Like she has this that gift. It's amazing.
0: I love this visual that is different than sometimes I hear that instead of being busy on a mission and there's all this work to do in heaven and they're too busy to be with their family. Yeah. That isn't our doctrine, but sometimes we say that
2: right, culturally
0: that you are saying his mission is still to be with our family.
2: Right. And I think his mission and, is to be with people he loved on earth. And, That's a quote from that. I yeah. was reading it. Um, he, I think it was Joseph F. Smith and he, His mission is to be with our family and to be with people that he, um, like friends maybe that he loved because I've had friends reach out and say, you know, we, our kids talk about Wesley all the time. You know, we still talk about Wesley. We still think about Wesley. So I feel like he's kind of ministering to our circle of friends and to others that we don't know about. My sister lives in Laie and they were at the temple doing sealing, she and her husband, and she felt Wesley, when they were doing sealing, she felt him like escorting the spirits in that were, being work was being done for them on the other side. Cool. And she started crying because she could feel him so like closely. And she told her husband, like, she mouthed him, like, Wesley's here. And he started getting teary. And the sealer, <laughs> what's going on, guys? <laughs> and he's this laid-back Polynesian guy. And my sister's like, you know, my nephew passed away, and we can feel him here. And he kind of sat there with that for a second. And he was quiet and he's like, I can feel him too. And then they went back the next week to do ceilings again. And he said, is your nephew going to show up again today? <laughs> and then they just kind of stopped and she's like, I don't know, maybe. And he's, And then when they started doing ceilings, he looked at one point, he stopped and he said, I feel him again.
0: I love that. And I love, of course, there would be somebody escorting the spirits. And I've never thought of that But when you just described what he was doing a light just clicked for me, of course there would be somebody doing that. Yeah. And why wouldn't that be Wesley?
2: Right. And it's interesting and because... His
0: mission is to be with family and loved ones and friends. And,
2: mm-hmm. and furthering the Lord's work at the same time in the temple. Because we feel him in the temple when we go quite a bit. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard because you feel him sometimes as a child. Like I love to feel him as a child because that's how I know him the best. But sometimes I feel him as like a, kind of like my older brother, like a wiser, like protector for me. And that's nice too. But sometimes I feel him more that way. And I remember on his death anniversary this last year, I was driving, it was a little bit before his death anniversary. I was driving home from the cemetery. I just put some flowers in and I thought at the thought I've lost my little boy. And I felt the spirit or him come to me. And I felt it was, it's interesting people like, what is it like to feel somebody? It's kind of like feeling the Holy ghost. It's like the Holy ghost allows you to feel it's like the conduit that allows me to feel him. So it doesn't compete with the Holy ghost. It's it's just kind of the same channel in a way, but it's, it's him. And it was the thought was, no, you haven't lost me. I thought, but when I feel you so much as an older, you know, like, like you've advanced and matured. I don't know this part of you as well, but it's just, I get to experience both. And I think sometimes he shows up the way I'm more comfortable with him. So sometimes he, ex- I experience him as like his young, happy little three-year-old self. And sometimes he's like a mentor, kind of.
0: That's really cool. I love that you're not defining your relationship with Wesley by the last thing. I think when somebody dies suddenly, I think we sometimes define our relationship by that last, interu- dedu- last interaction, and I love the way that you're not you're defining your relationship with Wesley by the totality of that relationship and how yeah. that's the right thing to do.
2: Right, well, I mean, because that would have painted the whole thing black. And I've noticed that I don't feel him just same thing as the Holy ghost. I can't feel the Holy ghost. And I can't feel Wesley when I'm, when my heart is dark or when I'm angry or scared, it's that's like noise. I call it on the blog. Like it gets noisy when there's all that noise. I can't feel him and I can't feel the peace that comes from the Holy ghost. So I've had to learn and work on that. Um, like allowing myself to, you know, acknowledge like that really sucks that that's the last thing I said to him, but he's not worried about it. He's not hung up on it. He's got lots of other things to do and he's not, it's not a problem for him. So why am I letting it be a problem for me? It's kind of the same thing as like, what pain did he go through? That's another stupid thing someone said to me after he died is I hope he didn't feel a lot of pain. It's like, how is that helpful? Why would you say that to me? Well, whether he felt pain or not, he's not feeling any pain right now. And he's not thinking about how much pain did I feel before I died? He's living in heaven. So reading my uncle's book was, was really comforting. He had that prompting to tell his, you know, that family that your daughter's spirit left her body the instant before the accident, because, you know, logically we think heavenly father wouldn't want these children to go through pain, but sometimes as mortals, we get stuck in that and we, we stew in that and that's not going to help us feel that peace. And that's not going to help us feel them. So I've had to try to work through like, this is natural to feel these feelings of anger or worry, but how long am I going to allow myself to feel them before I like ask for help from heavenly father so that I can break past that barrier and be in that happy, peaceful place where I can feel the spirit and feel him.
0: Share with our listeners that have lost a child how you, when you hear a story of another child that survived a choking accident, mm-hmm. and so maybe it's a parent that's lost a child lots of different ways, but then they hear stories of child a child with the same situation their child had that survived. Mm-hmm. I would guess most children that choke at some level survive. Mm-hmm. I don't know that for sure. Uh, Maybe not at the extent that Wesley got to with his airway being blocked and not breathing. But how do you navigate this part of your journey that he didn't, you know, just to help others sort of this loving God could have allowed less Wesley to live. And he does allow other young children to live that choke.
2: Right. I mean, because... You know, choking is one of the top three causes of death mm-hmm. as young children. Drowning is up there too. But I've heard some amazing stories. I mean, honestly, considering how long he was without air, I think it's strange that he passed away, you know, yeah. like looking at it from a scientific point of view. Um, Jeff's um, dad is engaged to a woman whose nephew was 10 minutes floating in water, and he's perfectly fine. And you hear stories about that pretty regularly, honestly, like they choked on a lima bean and she wasn't breathing for nine minutes or stuff like that. And, um, I just chalk it up to, well, I'm really happy for that family because their child was supposed to live and they get to keep that child. Like that's amazing, but we weren't supposed to keep Wesley. So I'm not, I can't argue with reality, you know, reality or God. I can't argue with that. If I argue with that, I'm just beating myself up. Like That's his mission. And sometimes I hate that word. It's kind of trite, but that's what he's supposed to be doing. I have to share the love a little bit. I have to share Wesley with more people now. Was that my choice? No. If I was given the choice right now, keep him and that never happened or let him be without, like be a light. I'd still let him be a light, even though it kills me to say it. Like, I'm not going to argue. It just hurts me and it keeps me from feeling him.
0: Great answer, Jeff.
1: Um, I I like how she talks about him being a light and helping people. Honestly, like he's able to help so many more people now than he was as a three year old. And yeah, you, you see these people, and and honestly, it's like relief when you hear those stories. You're like, yes,
2: we're we're happy for them.
1: We're so grateful for those families. They they still have their child. I mean, um, we
2: wouldn't wish this on our our. Like, worst enemy. We no. don't want anyone to go through
1: this. And and you can't play the what-if game because that's what it really leads back to. You know, what if, why, why this happened to us? And it's just, it did. It happened. Yeah, that's yeah. that's reality. I like how you say you can't fight reality. R- reality is what it is. And so when you see these other families, I guess our advice would be just, just be happy and loving and grateful for them. And I think that's generally the reaction that people will have because honestly you you don't want this to happen to anyone. Right. Um, so just, it's just a love in your heart that they get to raise their child now. And ours is, (laughs) I hate that whole mission thing, but yeah, he not necessarily on a mission, but he's out helping people. That's how I like to think about it. And, um, you know, we have experiences where he's nearby and then all of a sudden, He's gone and we're like, yeah, okay, he he's gotta do something right now. But he really is on a mission, quote unquote, to to help our family. And I think that's one of his primary purposes.
0: Talk about did because some children live when they choke and yours didn't did you then think, well, God doesn't love me or I've done something wrong or I wasn't good enough or I sinned at age seventeen and this is <laughs> pay back for those, that, that one sin when I was 17, did you go down that road at all?
1: You know, we laugh, but that's a serious question. Um, and I don't feel like I really did. Um, I didn't feel like it was a punishment and, um, maybe that's because of the relationship I, I had with God currently. I don't know, but I don't think it's wrong to, to have those thoughts and, and wonder that, um, But I, I didn't go down that road at all.
2: No, but to be clear, the adversary will put those thoughts in your mind, you know, and the more you, the weaker you are, especially the more vulnerable, he'll find those cracks and put those in there more forcefully. But of course, as, as a human, you know, natural man, you're going to feel things or think things like, or thoughts will be put into your mind. Like maybe this is your fault or, you know, God doesn't love you. And you have the decision to be able to like acknowledge, okay, this is the thought. Is this something I'm going to like, am I going to go down that road? Or am I just going to say, no, that's not, I'm not going to believe that because it's damaging. It's really damaging. And I didn't ever feel hung up on that. Like God's punishing me, but I have felt like, gosh, heavenly father's putting a lot on me. You know, like sometimes I feel like my life has been, we should never compare ourselves, but my life has been harder. And other people's like most people don't go through this and i've also ha- had other trials in my life that were pretty heavy especially as a young person like why have i dealt with so much I can't answer those questions and i can't answer why it seems like other people's burdens may seem lighter how much do i know but um i feel like i had this prompting after he died it came i feel like it came from him it's just that you know he's got his mission on the other side and I've got my mission here like in a way we can kind of be like mission companions. Like we're, we're fighting for the same cause. We want the same things. We want success for our family. So that's kind of united us too.
0: That kind of leads in my next question. Some couples, and this creates so much tension between them that it's really hard on their marriage. I mean, you may have had some really hard days since he's gone. That would seem pretty logical, but What have you done? This is sort of you giving advice to other couples that want to keep their marriage together, want to keep the communication channel open. And they're recognizing that this experience now is causing new tension in our marriage. It's never been there. What advice do you have for other couples to keep their marriage together?
1: My advice would be to be completely open and honest with your spouse. Um, Because It's a hard enough situation to deal with all on its own. And, you know, (laughs) communication in a marriage is, you know, difficult anyways. But if you go through a trauma like this and then your spouse is left guessing what you're dealing with and what you're going through, even though they're going through the same thing, they're not. They, They have different challenges, different stages of grief. You, you need to just be as open as you can with them, you know, If and, and that might be them pushing you, asking the question, what's going on with you right now? What are you having a hard time with? Maybe you don't necessarily volunteer that information, but be willing to talk about it with your spouse and just be like, you know, I don't want to go to church for a month or I'm ticked off with God and I just don't know when I won't be. And, you know, these are thoughts that... Um, they're not happy thoughts. They're not good thoughts. Thoughts that you think you should be thinking, but you need to be honest and be able to say, "This is where I'm at. This is how I'm thinking," because that's the first step before to to being able to help each other. And and by help each other, I mean maybe just being supportive. Like, I'm sorry you're dealing with this. It, this is so hard. I I might be having similar feelings. And I can share that with my spouse. It's not necessarily being able to identify a problem and fix it because you're not going to be able to. It's just being able to connect. Honestly, I think it's that connection and keeping that connection with your spouse, because once you close yourself off, it's going to create other problems in your marriage.
2: Right. We have this code We used it a lot more when he had just recently passed, but um, our good friends gave us advice. The ones that lost their son said, you're not going to grieve exactly the same way. Like Jeff's not going to feel the exact same way you do on the exact same day at the exact same time. So you have to honor that and give the other person that space because because otherwise you're going to get frustrated. And so we had this code, it's 23. That's his birthday is June 23rd. And so when one of us needed to just check out or we were upset and we just needed some space or like their reaction was strange. We couldn't tell what was going on. We would just say 23. And the other person would say, okay, got it. I'm having a 23 moment. Like sometimes, one time it happened at church during a talk, Jeff walked out and I was like, oh, that was kind of weird. I walked out and I said, are you doing okay? He's like 23. And I was like, okay, cool. And I just left him alone because he needed to be alone for a minute. He didn't need me to like talk him through it. He just needed space. So we still do that, especially around his birthday or the death anniversary Like
1: 23.
0: Yeah. I love that. And it doesn't mean you don't, you're not talking as a couple. It just means that at times the best thing to do is just let one member of the marriage process something alone for a period of time. Right. And then you'll be able to come together and talk about what that code 23 was. Right. Right. And sort of process it together, but giving each other space at times and processing grief differently. That's very, very helpful.
2: And we do, we do come together. It's kind of like the pattern is we give each other space and then we talk about it later. And I think sometimes people are hesitant to be totally open with their spouse because they don't want to expose them to, they want to protect them maybe from what they're thinking and feeling, but that's, that's not the truth. You got to just be open and just let it all out there because they're going to feel closer to you and often feel the same thing.
0: Um, I'd like you to talk directly to couples that are just brand new to this road. Um, I don't know what time frame that is, but it's just happened. It's really raw and they're listening right now. Let each of you take a moment and just talk to couples.
2: You're going to be in the twilight zone for a while. You're going to feel like you're in a fog and it's not going to feel real. You're going to wake up every day and have to like kind of remind yourself what happened. And that's, that's normal and you're gonna be feeling maybe peace and anger at the same time and it's confusing because the six grief stages it's not a checklist you can it's a hodgepodge and so just give yourself patience and space no matter where you're at I mean you could feel you could feel normal for a second and feel guilty that you feel normal and then 30 seconds later you're feeling a huge wave of grief Those waves are really inconsistent you never know when to expect them so to just kind of honor where you are. I've never relied so much on the atonement and said specific prayers. Please help me right now, the power of Jesus Christ and his atonement to feel peace because I can't find it. And I just, you can't overuse that. There's no quota. Like, Oh, you prayed about that yesterday. You can't do that again today. Just rely really heavily on that and on the savior, like a child, like needing to hold their parents' hand across the street. Just let the savior hold your hand don't feel embarrassed about all these feelings you're feeling. Just, just let it be.
1: Um, it's going to hurt for a long time. And, and that's okay. I held on to my anger for a long, long time because I, I felt in a sense that once I let go of it, I would be dishonoring his memory somehow. I'd be letting go of him. And I didn't want to let go. And so I think I grabbed on to anger and the pain to a certain extent because I wanted the pain to go away, but I didn't because I didn't want to start forgetting. That was one of my biggest fears was, you know, because Wesley was young. He He was three years old, almost four. We didn't have him for a very long time. And, you know, and we're relatively young. And so... Uh, one of the things I was worried about was losing him, losing his memory, forgetting about him, and so I'd hold on to the anger and pain. It's okay to let go, and it's going to take a long time. And don't don't put a a time limit on. There, there's no time limit on when you should start feeling better. It's just going to happen naturally. Some people, it happens quicker than others. Um, just tr- try and stay close to God and. And don't don't let thoughts of guilt come into you. It's not it's not your fault, and it's it's a crappy thing to have to deal with. But you will get through it.
2: Yeah, I found a lot of peace going hiking. I go hiking in the mountains with a dog, and I would just go and enjoy being in a quiet place. Um, that gave me a lot of peace where I could just kind of talk out loud to Heavenly Father, talk to Wesley you it's good advice to talk to to, to the child, just talk to them. If You can out loud. If you're by yourself, if you can't just keep that, the lines of communication open, it's healing to keep talking to them. And I think it's good to let other people in to help you. When we lost Wesley, we were relatively new in our ward. We'd only lived in the ward for 10 months and we didn't really have a lot of friends yet. We weren't really close to anybody. Um, but the ward came and they were incredible and we let them come in and, you know, we let them bring us food. We let them take our kids. We let them, They did so many things. Yeah. We let them, you know, give us hugs. We, I cried hugging people. I didn't hardly know, but they were just there to like cry with me. Just let people cry with you.
1: One thing you said, this is, if you take one thing away from any, any of this, my one thing would be what you said, Camille, talk to him. Because don't believe that you can't have a relationship with your child or your loved one that passed away. Don't believe that for one second. They're there. You don't have to have a special one in 20 spiritual gift. Like you can have that relationship beyond the grave with them. That's, my sincere belief, I'm not saying this is not speaking doctrine or church or anything like this is just from my experience, like you can have that. And I personally believe that it's a falsehood. If you believe that you cannot, you can, and it's there. And honestly, it's up to you. It's going to take some effort, but it's there for you.
2: Yeah. I've noticed that those that tend to have the gift, it's actually, it's kind of a practice learned skill too. It's not like I had this gift when I was a child. I wasn't feeling like really like the veil was thin and I was close to the spirit world. None of that. It didn't happen until my grandma passed away when I was in my early twenties. Um, I was at her funeral. We were having like a cousin's memory fest before the funeral. And I was feeling jealous about all my cousins that had lived really close to her. I'd grown up in a different state, saw her maybe once a year. And the thought in my head was, I just feel like I didn't really get a lot of time with her. And I felt her come to me and say, but now you do. I can be with you anytime. And that was really comforting. That was also really startling. Like, is it possible that my grandma can talk to me? Kind of like the Holy Ghost talks to me. It felt just the same, but it was her. I could feel like her and her personality in it. Um, I've noticed that those who are better at feeling um, spirits who've passed, they are more in touch with their feelings. They're better at um, processing feelings and identifying how they're feeling. People that tend to be more blocked and not as like, um, fluent in the language of feelings, maybe don't recognize You know, and that's not to say that you can't, because I've talked to my mom about it a lot, and she'd say, you know, I haven't had any experiences with Wesley. And I remember praying, Heavenly Father, and even talking to Wesley, praying, saying, Grandma needs to be able to feel you. Can you just go to her in a dream or something, like, please, something? And um, now she, for her, it's more of a thought, like Wesley's here, and then she'll ask, like, this is Wesley here, and she'll feel it at that point, or the thought will come stronger. So it's not going to be the same. It's like the Holy Ghost he talks to us in different ways to different people, but it's something that can be a skill. It's not just a gift. I believe it's a skill. Like there's a quote from Brigham Young that we live far beneath our privileges. I think this is a privilege that maybe is overlooked a bit, but when you have someone pass away that you long to be close to, it's, it's an opportunity to, to learn something new.
1: And as a spiritually constipated person, sometimes,
2: <laughs> um, what a great phrase,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, It's something you can learn. So don't think like, oh, you know, I'm the typical closed off person. So I'm just not going to have those experiences. That's bull crap. That's that's you giving up like you can have them. If I can have them, you can have them.
2: (laughs) And yeah. And if you feel stuck in anger, like, well, I can't have those feelings because I'm feeling stuck in the anger phase. That's the perfect time to just melt your heart out and cry to Heavenly Father. Help me. I'm stuck in this phase. Or even if you're angry with Heavenly Father, please help me not be angry with you. Like, I'm stuck. Just be really open and honest because... Those broken hearts, they they're and when they're ready to be healed, it's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's a beautiful segment. Um thank you. I love I love the atonement and I think I love you relying on the atonement. I think I I, I think I do this sometimes that I don't want to turn my burden over to the savior because I'm just adding to his burden. And even if it's the same burden over and over again, I think, oh, I've added to his burden here. I want him to help me across the road again. But I think Doctrinally, we know he's suffered all of our pains, and so he's already paid the price. Right. Even if it's a multiple going to him with the same burden type of a road, we're on which you're on. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't, any sort of voices that say, well, I've turned to the Savior so much, I should quit turning to him. Or I'm just, he's going to hear the same story from me again. He's tired of that. I just think that is not, that's just voices that are keeping us some healing. Um, We're about out of time um, I want to talk about Will, mm-hmm. um, your youngest son, mm-hmm. your youngest child who was born after um, Wesley died. And talk about how he's a separate person. He's not a replacement for mm-hmm. Wesley. And just talk and just to introduce Will to us and how and just that narrative.
2: So Will's actually a lot like Wesley. Um, our first child is very driven and opinionated and strong-willed and feisty. Our second is very hyper and full of energy and just intense and fun. And then Wesley was like my reward baby. And then our fourth is feisty and opinionated. (laughs) And then Will came along and he's mellow and sweet. He reminds us a lot of Wesley. Um, So that's nice. But somebody did say to me when I was pregnant, well, isn't it nice that you're going to have another boy? Kind of like to replace Wesley and I'm thinking, no, it's, I, it was nice to her, but it bothered me. And like, how could he replace someone else that's totally separate? Um, and I actually really, really struggled with this when I was pregnant because it was another boy. And I was just like having thoughts like, what, like, what if I wish that he was Wesley? Like, is that I'm going to feel guilty because I'm going to wish that he's not him, that he's someone else. Or am I going to feel like he replaces Wesley? Is this going to change my relationship with Wesley? So I was like, you know, and when you're pregnant, you got the hormones anyway. And I was, I was kind of a mess about it. And I called my friend to talk to her about it. She had had the similar situation where she lost a son and then she got pregnant with another one. And she's like, he's not going to replace Wesley. He's going to be a different spirit and you're going to love him. And he's going to help you heal. Cause you're gonna have this baby to hold when you're missing Wesley. And he's just going to help you. And I really feel like they're actually really connected. You know, I believe babies the veil is thin for them, especially when they're newborns. Like you watch them looking up at the sky, tracking something that you can't see. And when they start smiling, I'm like, what are you smiling at? But if I wish I could see all the things that he could see, but I know that they're close. And it's kind of special that they have that. Um, It'll be interesting to see as he grows up and, you know, have this family narrative of Wesley and he never experienced him here, what his experience will be with Wesley, maybe spiritually.
0: That's cool. That is really cool.
2: We named him William Wesley.
0: William Wesley. Yeah. Jeff. Um,
1: So for me, it's a little different. Um, Camille actually wanted a a child before, another one, before Wes passed away. And in my mind, it wasn't going to (laughs) happen. You know, um, I I was done. Um, But, you know, with everything that happened, I was like, all right, well, it's only four on Earth. I think I can handle that. (laughs) Um, So already in my my head is like it wasn't necessarily him replacing him, but you still have those thoughts sometimes. And it's like a lot of it's just uncertainty before he's born. You know, what's he going to be like? Is he going to look like him? Am I going to be this hyper like dad who's not going to let him do anything or, you know... (sighs) And it's actually kind of sad and comical in a way because this kid puts everything in his mouth.
2: He's the worst. Like none of our kids have been like this. No,
1: we've honestly probably saved his life from choking at least 10 times. Yeah. Literally. Not a joke. And so sometimes I yell at Heavenly Father for that. I'm like, seriously.
2: (laughs) I've said specific prayers because he was actually worse before. I specifically prayed, Heavenly Father, please stop Will from wanting to put everything in his mouth. Like, please help us in this situation. Cause this is not funny and we don't like this. And <laughs> he he's gotten a little bit better. Maybe just keep praying that prayer over and over. Yeah, he's, so that's yeah.
1: just a funny aside. But, um, I mean, it honestly, as soon as the, I think it's more a worry before the child comes, once they come, you're like, you have this love in your heart for them, that they're this separate being They're They're not going to fill the hole that was left by Wesley but they don't need to either. You're going to love them just like you do your other children.
0: I love that. And I know that back to platitudes, there might be a part of my brain that says, okay, you guys are good once your next son's born, because uh-huh. you've got, you've got Will now. And I can kind of step back from putting my arm around you asking how you're doing. Um, that box is kind of checked because you got another kid and mm-hmm. Um, I recognize that that would, and if I'm your ministering brother or your friend or your priesthood leader, I'm recognizing that would be a fallacy that this is, this doesn't change the fact that Wesley's gone right? and doesn't fill that hole. Um, it, it is wonderful to have another child. And so I just recognize that does is back to the platitudes that that is not, you know, everything's not all good now. And if I'm your friend, I continue need to hear how you're doing and listen to your story.
2: I think it's hard as members of the church. We want to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that sit in need of comfort. So then we have to open our hearts and our hearts start to hurt. And so we really felt that like on the ward level is everyone was hurting with us. And then I'm the same way. I've had other seen other tragedies in other people's lives and your heart just you're you're just dying for them. But there comes a time when you have to kind of close that because you can't keep your heart open. It's true. You can't like carry all of their pain with them. True. The savior can do that, but we can't. And so there comes a point where we can't keep that rawness open for other people. And so maybe it is someone's tendency to say, Oh, they had another son. Check that box. Let's tie a pretty bow on that. Like they're good, but I don't feel like we've gotten that attitude from anybody. I feel like everyone kind of understands like this is so cool. You had another baby, but Wesley's still not here and that's hard.
0: Perfect. Um, Any final thoughts you'd like to share Um, Camille and then Jeff or Jeff and then Camille, you can decide the order.
2: I just think be patient with yourself. Like, you know, we've shared some beautiful experiences, but there was a lot of pain and misery and heartache that has accompanied them. It's like, it's like a hike. Most of the hike is not fun. It hurts. You're not seeing anything pretty like from a viewpoint. And then you get to this Vista and you're overlooking something incredible. This journey is like a hike. Most of the time, it sucks and it beats you up. There's a lot of beauty in that too, but a lot of it just hurts. It's just going to hurt. It's you can't, you can't get rid of that. It's going to hurt and it's going to be really hard. And um, so, just really enjoy those vista moments when you get them and hold on to them because that's what gets me through.
1: My parting advice would be to—I mean, it's just—it's hard, and I'm sorry. I think mostly that. That and focus on loving and being loved. I think that's going to be the key to getting through it. Allowing yourself to be open and to be loved by others and served by others. Let them help you and look for opportunities where you can help and love others because that helps to bring the spirit into your life more and bring you closer to your Savior and honestly closer to any loved one that you might have lost, it'll help uh, strengthen that connection.
0: Thank you. On behalf of all of our listeners, um, Camille and Jeff, thank you for being on the podcast. This has helped me personally, and I know it's helped our listeners. And thank you so much. And this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.